Hello and welcome to the Master Your Voice podcast, a podcast for and about singers. I'm your host, Master Voice Teacher Heidi Voss. Today, I'm excited to talk a little bit about the brilliance of learning through your repertoire and interacting with your audience. And we'll top off today's show with a little Q&A. So let's get started. A couple of thoughts. Last week in the Master Your Voice Facebook group, we built on our 30-second self-tapes with a compliment and request prompt. Singers were asked to listen to each other's uploads and offer positive feedback, as well as offering a request for another song. Now, the obvious benefit of this was to break the ice and get people interacting with one another. One of the most important aspects of the Master Your Voice Facebook group is building a real community, a place where we can gather and share our work and encourage one another. It goes without saying that encouraging positive interaction between members, especially those who have never met in real life, can go a long way in building the kind of nurturing environment that artists need to feel safe, to take risks, and to put themselves out there. It was so much fun seeing these interactions, old friends reconnecting, watching people discover new singers and see where their paths have intersected. What a beautiful start to building a real community. And it all started with a little bravery. You had to put yourself out there and make yourself known. Now, a little plug before we go further into today's topic, it's never too late to jump in and start interacting. Post a video, share a comment. If you haven't jumped in yet, consider this your personal invitation. Back to the compliment and request challenge. Aside from the all-important community benefits of the challenge, at the individual level, why was this such a worthwhile activity? So many years ago, I read James Sherwicki's bestseller, The Wisdom of the Crowds. In that book, he posits with lots of data and pretty solid evidence that large groups of people are smarter than an elite few, no matter how brilliant those elites are. Groups are just better at solving problems, fostering innovation, and coming to wise decisions. So how does this relate to singing in our little community? Well, if you think of the compliment and request challenge as a means of crowdsourcing your repertoire, that's the root of it. No matter how brilliant and fabulous I am at repertoire assignments, and I pride myself in my ability to assign repertoire, having the brain trust of this group offering suggestions will likely provide a much more diverse array of options with perspectives from all over the country, and hopefully at some point, perspectives from all over the world. Singers and teachers can easily find themselves in silos, and you only need a few years of school or community theater under your belt to notice that there are trends within communities of singers. I see that all the time. One regional choir is singing Carmina Burana, and then next season, a neighboring group is programming the same piece. There was one year in my community that there were three separate productions of Anything Goes slated for the same season. 
Were the directors all meeting at the Starbucks and colluding on their seasons? Of course not. In fact, had they been, they may have rock scissor papered their way out of that musical crunch. I can't say why this phenomenon happens. I only know that it does. And the same thing happens with repertoire for singers. One person walks into my studio singing Turning Tables and two other people who don't know each other in any way, shape or form walk in the same week singing the same song. Now, sometimes that's simply because the song is new and everybody wants to sing the new song or it's the one that just blew up on TikTok. But that's not always the case. In fact, it's rarely the case. So often the coincidental timing just seems random. And I always joke that there just must be something in the water. So the upside to crowdsourcing in a national online community is that it offers an opportunity to break out of your regional silo and, as it were, sample the water in someone else's neighborhood, thereby hopefully giving you a perspective that you may not have heard before with a wealth of musical ideas that are not circulating in your personal musical ecosystem. The other benefit of crowdsourcing your repertoire is even more profound. It's the ability to have a focus group at your beck and call. Why would a singer need or want a focus group? (laughs) Well, for one thing, it's a great place to try out new music and get immediate feedback. Companies pay big money for focus groups, and we have one built right into the Master Your Voice Facebook group. So how can a focus group help you as a singer? Well, we all need to understand our brand. You may think that sounds kind of crazy coming up from a voice teacher talking about singing artists, but the reality is I have seen people squander decades of their performing lives trying to figure out their style or worse, realize way too late that their voice simply didn't match the music that they were creating and pursuing. Of course, we can get into the conversation about whether we're creating music and art for the sake of itself, or if we actually want to connect to an audience. But if we are seeking the latter, we have to contend with the perception of our music in the broader community. We have to start to think about our market. This is true in every genre for which you would like to have an audience. In classical music, you must know your Fach. Which composers do you sing well? Which subset in the genre is your sweet spot? Are you an oratorio singer? Does early music suit your voice? Or maybe, just maybe, were you born to sing Wagner? In musical theater, questions like, are you a belter? Are you an ingenue or the sidekick? Are you really a triple, triple threat? Really? In pop, Oh, pop. I have a whole workshop coming up to help singer-songwriters with this challenge, but I digress. If you're a pop singer, what does that even mean? What is your style? What singers influence you? What kind of music do you create? As singers, we answer all of these questions for ourselves, but how can we know if we come up with the right answers? Much like those ubiquitous personality tests, singers really need objective third-party metrics to confirm that we really know where our strengths lie. You can get these honest assessments from excellent voice teachers, present company included. You can learn valuable insights based on the roles you've gotten, the colleges that have offered you admissions, and the gigs you've lined up, and the gigs that you've been asked back to. 
The problem with that is this process of external discernment can take years, even decades. For the most part, it's a trial and error event. You put something out there and see if it sticks. Then you do it again and again. Do it enough times and you'll notice a pattern. Hopefully, you'll discover that your personal perceptions line up with your audience's response. If you jump out of the gate and that's what happens, count yourself extremely fortunate. Most people have had to try and try and try again until they find the intersection between their voice, their talent, and what their audience actually wants and hears in them. Many singers spend their whole lives trying to figure out who they are, and they never find their audience outside of a few kind family members. So what is the right track? And how do you know if you're on it? That is where that ever-powerful focus group comes in. By getting requests from other group members, you're hearing clues as to how other people perceive you and your voice. They're helping you sort into specific genres and sharing with you what they hear in yourself. The more people who offer their requests, the more wisdom you can pull from the crowd. Now, that can feel disconcerting or invigorating. The more you post, the more feedback you get, the more you can begin to see patterns emerge. If you choose to listen and try to find the pattern in the comments, you can begin to work your audience's perception into your brand and maybe even into some of your artistic choices. Instead of simply putting yourself out there and seeking your audience, you can begin to lean into your audience and work with them. That could save you decades of trying to discover who you are in the context of the larger musical landscape. So when you're reading those Master Your Voice Facebook comments, think about what they're saying to you. Try out their suggestions. Seek your strengths as outlined by your audience. Play to them. If you lean into your audience even just a little bit, you may discover that singing is a two-way conversation. And it's way more fun to work with your audience than at them. So welcome to a new segment we have here on the Master Your Voice podcast, Q&A. Here's where you get to ask me a question and I answer you back. So first up, our question comes from Shannon Fish. Hi, Heidi. I have two questions for you today. The first is for someone who's getting back into classical singing and hasn't been keeping their voice warm through the past few years. So what are your suggestions for consistently keeping your voice warm, even if it's just for yourself, your voice's health, its range, um, making sure that that stays consistent throughout your lifetime? And my second question was, when breathing from the diaphragm, what ab exercises do you suggest to mentally target your diaphragm, especially when um, breathing during very um, difficult, laborious classical pieces? Okay, thank you. I love these questions. So we're really talking about similar things. You know, how do you get yourself back into singing after a bit, after it's been a bit particularly classical singing? And 
how do we make sure that we're targeting the breath properly? the abdominal breath properly. So let's deal with the first one. Number one, with classical singing, really, really, really do your best to get your body underneath your voice first. Don't try to pull out the queen of the night aria and think you're going to pop those high notes out like nobody's business. You might, but you probably won't be thrilled with the product that comes out of it. It's very easy for a singer to I don't want to say lose the voice, but you kind of forget where everything gets placed. So take your time, dig into your technique and start slowly because you don't want to imagine like you're running a marathon and you haven't run a 5k in let's say, you know, five years. Don't jump right in and run the 26 miles. Try to tackle the first little bit first. And the first little bit is getting that technique underneath your body. So starting with, and this leads to her second question getting the breath back underneath you and building the muscle and the stamina to navigate and manage that classical repertoire, which requires so much more vigorous muscular work to make that happen. Why do I say that? Well, because there's no technology helping out a classical singer. For those of you guys who've never been to the opera, one of the coolest things about it is there are no microphones. You have to sing over the orchestra. You have to project and you have to use your whole body. That's what I always say. It's your big girl singing or your big boy singing. You want to use your whole body to sing. And in order to do that well and effectively, you have to get your technique underneath you. So get started, get training, get your body underneath you. How can you do that? Well, you know, grab some workouts. I have plenty of them posted online and start thinking about the mechanics of your singing and make sure the mechanics are clean. Now let's talk a little bit specifically about the mechanics of the breath, which leads into Shannon's second question. How do I know I'm targeting the right muscles? Well, you want to make sure that when you're breathing for singing, that you have a supremacy on the abdominal breath. It's very easy for singers to do what's called tidal breathing, or they think they're breathing low and they're really working into their rib cage or the area around their sternum. They're just not low enough. And I can't stress enough the lower, the better for every inch. I can get a singer to drop that breath lower. I can get another liter of air into her body. So I want that breath low. How do I know I'm targeting the right area? Well, take your thumbs, place them on your belly button, look at yourself in the mirror, and you're going to see a little triangle in your lower body. What you want to do is target that area for the movement in the diaphragmatic breath. You want to inhale, pushing all of those vital organs, the viscera or the guts down and out. So you're getting that diaphragm to push way down as you inhale. And then you're going to engage all the muscles in your lower core, your lower abs. So that way the air doesn't just completely fly right out of your body immediately. So you start to control the muscles in your lower abdomen to develop a level of control in the breath process. How do I know that I'm using the right muscles? There's a really easy trick to do that. You can, if you're a yoga aficionado, you can go into that boat pose and feel those muscles that engage when you're in boat pose, or you can also do lay on the floor and do some leg lifts. So if you're laying on the floor in a constructive rest position, meaning you're on the floor, your back is on the floor, your knees are up, your feet are on the floor. You can pick your feet up and feel what muscles engage as you pick your feet up. If you can put your legs straight, that's kind of a challenge without doing any damage to your back or over stressing your lower back muscles, then you'll really feel where those core muscles are engaging the psoas, engaging the lower abdominal muscle and all those, the 
the rectus abdominis, the lower portion though of the rectus abdominis. So the bellies, B-E-L-L-E-S muscles. You want the low abs, the core, you know, take a couple Pilates classes, a yoga class. You'll probably figure out which muscles I'm talking about pretty quickly. But the easiest way to find it is that boat pose in yoga where you're in this inverted V shape where your legs are up, your body's up, and you really feel that low the cradle of the pelvis working really hard to support. Those are the muscles you want to engage as you're singing. That's where you're getting support. Those are the muscles you want to build to help you engage that diaphragmatic breath and the support for the sound. Once again, a big thank you to Shannon Fish for those fabulous questions. I'm sure plenty of you are struggling with that abdominal breath and with just getting back into singing and what to do. So hopefully that helped you give you a little bit of a tip in how to jump into the pool. And in case you're wondering, I've got a couple of online classes coming in the next couple months. So if you want to jump in and really get more detailed instruction, I welcome you come and find me. You can find me on Facebook at master your voice. You can find me on my website at www.vassvoice.com or you shoot me a DM on social media, Heidi Voss. I'd love to hear from you and help you find your voice and master your voice.